Oh no, we have some more people coming. <laughs> Come on in. How you doing? Are you a rolling referral? Uh, he gets a little discount. <laughs> He's building a good, a good following. That's good. <laughs> you need some shade? You can sit on this side if you like. We try to provide both, shade and sun. You'll be able to hear me too, I think. See, Eric knows better. He wears a hat. That's good. Yeah, that's what happens. That's the privilege of membership. You know what's going to happen a little bit. <laughs> we don't even know what's going to happen. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so what brings you here? What brings you to here? Um, I don't know. Hmm? Do you find What an accusation. <laughs> well, I can't sort of top that. So. No, I did not find enlightenment. There's nothing called. Life is a gift. Well, and, and, and you are not sharing the gift. Uh, well. <laughs> Whether you realize or not, you have found enlightenment because you are sharing the gift. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. The other, now I know. <laughs> you are found enlightenment. Now I know I'm enlightened. You can take the ten steps. Wait while I speak to them. Really? I'd rather go the, just one step. There's ten steps? To enlightenment? But it starts with giving and loving and sharing. Yeah. And either you have it or you don't. One out of three ain't bad. You know, it doesn't really matter in a lot of ways. You ever hear of Carlos Castaneda? Carlos Castaneda? Do you ever hear of him? Well, he wrote a lot of books in, like, I guess the 70s or 60s. When I was young, they were great. Uh, it was all about a shaman in Mexico called Don Juan and these incredible stories. And then a lot of people claimed him to be fraudulent or not. But if you look at the effect that his books and his, he had on people, it was great. So the whole point is... You know, you miss, the, you miss the forest from the trees. An asshole could have some incredible wisdom come through them. Yes? There's no requirement necessary. There's just uh, being willing to open up to a possibility that you're not that, which is this idea of being Paul, which would always define what can come through you. Yeah? In, instead of, you know, you see that you, maybe you're not that, then what actually moves through you downloads information that's so much uh, more advanced than knowledge of knowing, yeah? It's more about a sense of finding out. It drops in, and it's not even conceptualized. You, you seek to conceptualize it as a form of expression, yeah? But the energy or the juice is so clean and clear when it drops in. And it can come through the most unknowable person in the world at any given moment. There's nobody who has shined himself enough to sort of be uh, to be deserving of this of this energy. You know what I mean? 
There's nobody who has polished himself enough, who's purified himself enough to be deservant of this energy. It's grace. Grace comes through. Yeah? And grace is seeking expression, just like everything else is seeking expression here. So in this one form, it's attempting to seek expression as a message or an invitation. Not a thesis, not a 10-step program or an 80-step, you know, uh, time-release program. It's just a simple invitation or a message. If you've ever gotten an invitation, they're not usually 50 pages long, are they? The invitation is, hey, come over to my house at 8 o'clock. All right, that's it. A message. If you got like an eight-minute message on your voicemail, you'd probably listen to about 30 seconds of it and just hang up. A message is very clean, and the invitation is very clean. Therefore, it can be repeated quite a lot. Yeah? That whole point is repetition is like using a poison for an antidote here. We keep repeating. I have actually never veered from the topic in 20-something years. Yeah? There's an invitation, and in the sense of you having it or getting it, it would be the feeling of nothing. So basically, you're being given nothing, and you can't return it. <laughs> There's no warranty on it, because it has nothing to do with me or you. It's just an aspect of mine that's already so. We're just acting as if we're something other than that. Yeah. And it would have been, if, if it would have stayed fun, we'd probably still be enjoying acting as if we were something other than that. But acting as if we're something other than that has produced consequences that our mind's not happy with. It's quite agitated, and it's driven to seek relief yeah, from that thing that's agitating it, yet self can't get out of self. So if you're identified with a system of thought, and that system of thought is generating what's producing that anxiety, then anything of that system of thought can never leave the system of thought. So you're never going to find relief by seeking relief with the same system that's producing it. So we're just trying to go to what's the center of that system? The feeling of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. That's the center of self-centeredness. Most people are living life with a mental outlook called self-centeredness. In other words, we take ourselves to be the subject, and in taking ourselves as this to be the subject, we forgot about subjectivity. We think subjectivity is something we're doing. Like, I'm the one who's going to increase my awareness. There's no increasing awareness. You may access it a little more, you may open up to a little more, but there's no lack in awareness at all. So there's no need to increase it. It's the idea of you being aware that diminishes it. When it's you that's being aware, all these conditional filters get put in front of the lens, and now instead of clear, bright light, it's like orange or yellow or distorted. And everything that you see and think about and explore and investigate and seek for is inundated with that yellow. And you're wondering why things aren't working out. Because you're giving it all the meaning it has. Yeah. And the biggest meaning your mind has given anything is not God, it's you. You are the God here. The idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity is playing God. It's the mind playing God. And it doesn't brook any other god before it. It'll, ta it'll entertain lesser gods all freaking day, or dead gods, or dead masters, but it's not going to deal with something that's impressively on now. That's why it's absorbed in time. It's a way of trying to stay in the avoidance of what's so, by making this and this more important than what's happening. And look at the thought system. Look at it. It's revealing itself. We were just saying... Let's say you're sitting here and it's a beautiful day, but then your mind will say, well, I bet you it's not going to be beautiful tomorrow. This is what it does, yeah? There's, a, there's really, if you were a little kid, your response here would be probably to take your clothes off and start running around, yeah? There wouldn't be, oh, I better keep my clothes on. It may not be nice tomorrow, you know? They wouldn't have none of this these requirements or ideas about things. They would just respond to, like the two kids we have here. They're responding to this open area by running around. Yeah? They're not huddling in the corner going like, I bet you I won't be able to play next weekend. You know? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Who's playing more than I am right now? Jesus, you know? No. There's such an immediacy to life. What happened? There was, a, there was, an, there was an outgrowing that and we, our mind presented an idea 
the idea was you, and we've grown into taking life from that point of view. And it's producing tons of consequences. It produces that time has a bigger effect than now. Yeah? The idea of what is gonna, what I'm gonna be like years ago is actually sucking more of my interest into there than it, than my interest is being put in here. Yeah? I'm always dwelling, it seems, my mind's dwelling in the past and speculating about the future. You don't see that as playing God? What more, what would happen if all there is is like an eternal moment? What would a pseudo God do with that? Not to be, not to be able to acknowledge that. It would make up time. <laughs> it would say, no, this moment is just one moment in a whole day of moments. And I bet you there's going to be a lot of bad moments around four o'clock today. Yeah, when I get home. This is what it does. Yeah. And we can't seem to break the habit of listening to it because we believe it's us or it's about us. Yeah. That's what happened with me. When I I suffered from an extreme example of self-centeredness. And of course, when I say I suffered, I'm not talking about the I of all eyes. I'm using a language. We use a subjective language and we're objects using it. So it's a very difficult thing to speak with, yeah? But here, I was suffering from alcoholism, which is an extreme division of self-centeredness, yeah? That alcoholism was like a parasite. Very, very nasty. When it took took me over, you would think when if something nasty took you over, the first thought you would have was to throw it off. Yeah, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you feel that way? In other words, if something, if a big bug landed on your arm right now, you'd be like that. Woo! You know, there'd be the first shock of surprise and terror, and then you'd brush it off. Yeah. Well, that shock, this thing suddenly came over us, where it just negated the surprise and terror. And it just eased in like a jockey slowly getting on a horse's back, yeah? And it started to affect, have an effect through us, yeah? It used us as a form of expression. Yeah? It started to act out its manifestations. All the while, the host, no matter how hostile and how terrible the conditions became, could never entertain being free of the parasite. Why is that? Because the parasite convinces the host that it's the host. Yeah? The host loses the sense of its own nature and now has taken upon the nature that has been presented to it through the mental process. And when it has taken on that nature to be its own, when it becomes identified as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, it cannot entertain being free from it. It can only entertain being free as it, for it, yes, and the fact is, the freedom is from this. It's not for it or as it. Yeah? It's from the idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. It's not as the long-lasting, independent, separate entity. That's what we're busily trying to do now. And how, how successful has it been? How many paths have you gone on? How many books have you read? How many 20 years of sitting have you done? Yeah. And then what happens is it doesn't nothing radical seems to happen, so now you're looking for turbo Buddhism or extreme esoteric Kabbalah. And so the more and more you know, add some really some spicy things to it. Like let's mix Tantra with, you know, Orthodox Judaism. Let's see what happens there. <laughs> Bing, maybe there'll be a, an opening. This is like this is like the pathetic seeking of a system that can't get out of itself. Yeah? Because self can't get out of self. That pause is out of self. Right there. That is it. Self can't get out of self. Mm. There's been an understanding. There's no way you can get out of something you could not possibly be in. It's an incredible, clear understanding. It doesn't take any time to build. When it appears and has an effect, it has a very timeless quality to it. Yes? You can't get out of an imaginary problem. When you see that, that's how you get out of an imaginary problem, is you can't get out of an imaginary problem. Why? Because it's imaginary. Yeah? 
Why do you think, do you believe it's all the practitioners that are failing and that all the systems of, of transcendence and this are really incredibly perfect and finely tuned, but it's all the practitioners that aren't, that are screwed up, that there's something inherently wrong with you, that you can't catapult yourself into awareness through a practice, that's called self-centeredness. Everything gets back to you. When something fails, it has something to do with you. You're the initial failure. So everything has like a, a clear way to get about doing what it's doing because it's never questioned. All the questioning usually goes to you. Yeah, I had it with the Lord of the Universe. I met a young, I was young, I met a guru when I was 18. <laughs> I never met the guru, I met these teachers called Mahatmas, which, who worked for the guru, it was like he had a franchise, and the teachers were showing his meditation. And so I, I was, hey, yeah, I signed up, me and my couple of my friends, and we got initiated to this meditation, and I loved it. I meditated and stuff like that. Then suddenly... The guru came from India to America, and he was like 12 years old, 13 years old. Yeah. Whoa, and, and, and he was presented as the Lord of the Universe. Yeah. Okay, so here I am. I have, I have a lot of spiritual seeking and tons of concepts about spirituality, which I did not acquire. They just show up when you're engaged in a topic. Yeah. Your mind is like a giant library of conditionality. Yes, your conditional mind, it has reams and reams of printouts of why things should or shouldn't be a certain way. Yeah? So I enter this spirituality. I have tons of opinions about guru. I have tons of opinions about a devotee. I have tons of opinions about all this. Where did they come from? They were accessed by the situation, yes? Brought about by me being the subject and that path being the object. That's what triggers all of the conditional uh, information downloading. Yeah? All of it. There has to be a you to, to access and receive that information. Yeah? And it's the you that gets it, and now it's you having an incredible opinion about something else. So here he was, presented as the Lord of the Universe. Well, I had a very weird experience. I didn't like the Lord of the Universe. I didn't like him at all. It put me in a very bad place, because my girlfriend at the time was a big devotee of him, Bhakti, you know, love. And she'd run up to the front of the stage every program, you know. I'd be sitting in the back. She'd just take off, run up there, and she'd be there dancing and everything. I'm sitting there. <laughs> da, da, yeah? And so, all right, here's the Lord of the Universe. I'm a spiritual seeker. I have now met the Lord of the Universe, and I don't like him. <laughs> what does that make me? Well, I'll tell you what it made me. For five fucking years, in my freaking head, what it made me was very unhappy agitated and incredibly discontent sitting on the vehicle that was supposed to bring me out of discontentment and agitation and unhappiness. Yeah. So the, the exact vehicle that I gave meaning to as this is going to take me out of my problem was actually like a limousine in the problem. Yeah. Like almost like a parade, one of those first cars in a parade yeah, that goes really slowly. It just went slowly all every year, every day over the same old, same old. What am I not to like the Lord? <laughs> so, this is self-centeredness, yeah? This is self-centeredness. The whole system of thought and interpretation is centered on an idea of self. The idea of self is very, very flawed, yeah? The idea of self is that you're the doer, you're the haver, you're the initiator, you have free will, you are doing everything that's happening in your life, even though every major process of the body is involuntary, except for one, the breath, which is half involuntary, half voluntary. That's the only place you have any say in the matter when it comes to the actions of the body. Yet we think, you know, when there's a... All right, so I eat some food. Do you think you digest the food? You know, what would happen if, you were, if that was your job? You would have forgot that burrito from Friday night. You know what I mean? Something, oh, Jesus Christ, i got to go home. I forgot those chips I ate the other day. There's no way this thing could live for a day if you were running digestion, if you were pumping the blood or beating the heart. Yet, a much subtler aspect of the brain and the body, thinking you believe you're the thinker of it.
I mean, really, without questioning the difference between thought and my thought, talks don't have anywhere to go, seriously, because it's just like, you're a lion, you're a lion, you're a lion. Yeah, 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 I'm hearing you're a lion, you're a lion, you're a lion. It hits the ear, you want, now I can become like a lion. That's not the message. The message is you're a lion, you're a lion, you're a lion. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it, I've heard it. You're a lion, you're a lion, you're a lion. Oh, I can become like a lion. That's not the message. Yeah. You're a lion. I know, I understand. I know what you're saying. No, you're a lion, you're a lion, you're a lion. As soon as he gets into this little system, I can become like a lion. That's as far as the system can go because it's already taken itself to be something, yes? It's already taken itself to be a very firm idea represented by the body image, yes? That is what it takes itself to be. Everything else that's introduced to it gets claimed by that, and so now it's you hearing the message about not being you. Yeah? There's like no way you can get around it because you're the Alpha and the Omega to the thought system. So whatever's coming in, whatever information is coming in, turns into self-knowledge. Yeah? That means knowledge claimed by self. So the system takes this message, claims it, and you know what it does? It neuters the message. Because the message is, you're not that. The exact that that thinks it's hearing the message, it's saying you're not. Yeah? What's, the me what's this that you're not going to do with that? It's going to claim it, turn it into something so that it can digest it. I can become like a lion. I can become awake if I do the 15 steps of whatever. I can become always put in time. But the message is immediate. It's now. Yes? It's the aspect of the nature of your unblemished mind. And your mind, like this sky, has not been blemished by all the activity within it. Not one thing that you ever did has tattooed your mind. Not one. The mind is like exactly like, in a sense, like this. Big and open. When you look at it, the only thing you can describe is what appears in it. The clouds and the sun, yes? You can't describe the cloud, the uh, sky. Yet every, like that bird flying through the sky, if that bird took a shit, it wouldn't hit the sky. Yeah? It would land on something that's appearing, this. Yeah? Rain occurs. The sky doesn't get wet. The earth gets wet. Explosions happen in the sky. Does the sky get ripped open? No. That's what, like, mind is like. We're out... Our interest and attention is wedded to an idea that was presented by a mental process called, hey, you know what this feeling of being on means? It means there's a you. And you know what? From now on, I'm going to tell you what that you is. That you is maybe not enough. That you is always seeking and never finding. That you is you're never going to be loved in this life. That you is you better really fucking do a whole lot of work. you got a lot to catch up with. That you is going to be a lot of things and those requirements and hurdles and bars are going to be like whimsically changed at all times. Yeah. So you go through the 40th ring to the, when you're hitting the point of enlightenment and suddenly three more rings show up. Yeah. All right. I gotta, and then four more rings show up. You never actually arrive at where you're going because what's trying to get there is what you're looking for. The mind and mind alone is represented right now as we sit here. It's not over there. And then it's amazing. Like I was in a program of recovery. When this information came, it didn't erase that program. It illuminated it. It gave it so much flesh and blood, yeah? It didn't, oh, now that I got it, I, I'm going to leave this program. It actually injected with it so much more livingness to it. That's what this does. It doesn't stop you from being what you seem to be, a Jewish person or a Catholic or a Buddhist or a meditation practitioner. All it does is illuminate the mind, yeah? Now, not having the, the mind in an unilluminated state of hope that it will be illuminated, but it's now illuminated. And now instead of doing something to seek something, it's maybe it's just doing it because that's what it's doing. And it becomes a form of expression, not a form of acquiring. Yeah? It changes the whole feeling of it. 
Because a lot of times when you're driving like crazy to get to the massage, which is meant to cause you to be relaxed, the whole point, the whole way of going there is you're tense as hell. Yeah? The cars are stop thwarting you. I got to get to my massage appointment. I really need to relax. Yet, in the pursuit of that relaxing, you're flipping out. Yeah? I see people, they're on their third house, you know, because I live in a very rich area, Marin County. And sometimes I go to meetings where people share what's happening with them. And some people are on their third or fourth house. You know, they bought three houses and now they're fourth house. And they're totally flipping out about, you know, what's going to happen with the fourth house. But I, would thought, I thought that fourth house represented like an ease and comfort. It represented peace. Yet, they're pursuing it is the exact opposite of what that's meant to sort of uh, symbolize. Yeah? <coughs> Don't you see it? It makes a great story about what you're seeking, but the, the, the living of that story sucks. I, I see people come here, I tell them, don't come to another meeting. Go go to a soup kitchen and help other people. This idea, we have these concepts of, of enlightenment and awakening. We have no freaking idea. We have tons of ideas, but it's, it's not captured by an idea. You can't put it into a form, even if it's a subtle form, form called concept. You can't do it. Yeah. The best you can do is describe what we're not. Yeah, you can, you can, in, you can in great detail express the activity of a conditional mind because you see it. You are the awareness that's seeing that. Yeah. So you can see what produces the sense of being appalled. You can see it, and after a while of seeing it, there's got to be a moment where it hits you. Hey, I am that which is seeing, not that which is seen, because all. You never see yourself in the production. All the production does is it infers a self. It vaguely points at a self. It assumes a self. So it's a simple thing like this. You look at a bottle and everyone sees the bottle. Yeah. Now just add one little word to that bottle. My bottle. Now what does the bottle do? The bottle, the claiming of the bottle points to a claimer, doesn't it? Problem, my problem. Girlfriend, my girlfriend. And you'll notice, once the my shows up, that problem changes dramatically. Once the my shows up, your relationship with that girl changes quite a lot sometimes. Now you think you have the right to break into her email to see who she's talking to. Because why she's my girlfriend. Yeah? I should know what my girlfriend's doing. The my... Thought, my thought, every thought is being used to point to the thinker. The mental process claims it. All right, my thoughts are just happening. Thoughts are seen, right? Like a bird, like an eye would see a bird fly by. My mind seeing thoughts, yes? My consciousness is seeing thoughts. Okay, the mental process slips in there and puts this little word, my. Yeah? These are my thoughts. <laughs> so instead of being conscious of consciousness, you now become hyper-conscious of an idea of being you. Yeah. Everything is like a mirror pointing back at you. So hundreds of thoughts go through your head all day, but they're held in this one tracker beam of attention and interest. My. My thought. Who's that, who, who's that my inferring to? A thinker, yes? Can you imagine how you could travel if what you would call your bad thought wasn't held as yours? It would have almost no impact compared to when it's my bad thought. Jesus, I can't, can't share this. I'm supposed to be a spiritual teacher. I can't. I want to go look at porno later or something. You know? <laughs> I got to put that into my little secret box. You know? Why would I even have a secret box? The my, the my, the act of being identified as the doer, the haver, the claimer. We're just disputing that question, you know, or not. I found, I went down, I did a lot of stuff. Maybe, you know, other people have more success than I do. But I did seemingly done a lot of practices and stuff. And I ran into this basic flaw that there was always a you, a subject, doing everything else. Yeah? And no matter how much I would read, like I remember this, this nice transcript I read of a teacher talking about non-doership 
he gave like a four-page talk, you know, that was transcribed into four pages. Beautiful, very nice, nicely put. Then the next, so it's a transcription, so the next paragraph, a student raises their hand and goes, okay, I understand what you say, now what do I do? It's just unbelievable, yeah? You can totally unmask the system, and yet the system will override it like a speed bump. It just immediately goes right back to, what do I, now what do I do about non doership Yeah? <laughs> nothing. That's the good news. Nothing. And it does, nothing doesn't look like what you would think. Nothing looks like. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't think that way. But it's not like the opposite of something. It's nothing. Yeah? There's a whole lot going on in nothing. So there is a solution. The seeming dilemma is just that. You know what the word seeming means? It appears to be true or false to you. This is the whole reality of this place. This is a perceptual dream in a sense. Our minds are giving everything all the meaning it has. And then we forgot we've done that and we're giving everything we've dreamt the power to affect us. Not as what we are, but as what we take ourselves to be. And if there's a dreamt tiger and you're a dreamt object, you're going to be scared of the dreamt tiger. Yeah? It's just the way it's going to be. You can read as many books as you want to read about not being afraid of a dreamt tiger, but you're, if you're near a dreamt tiger and you're a dreamt object, you're going to be afraid of it. Yeah? What's the only solution to it? It's to wake up. Yeah? We're saying you already are awake. If I'm not the dreamt object, as soon as I get a good hit that I'm not the dreamt object, my fear of the dreamt tiger goes down and incredible, like that, yeah? I could try so much stuff and maybe I'd get a little relief, but it would never, never radically change anything. Suddenly, it just changes everything. Because this solution is a timeless nature. It's a timeless nature. Did you ever hear the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament? Have you? Prodigal son? It's a parable. It's a really nice parable. It's about a, a guy who had it pretty well. He lived with his father, a nice place. And he sort of left and he started partying. And he started getting into debauchery and he, his life spiraled into a place where... And he wanted to go home, but he felt too guilty. Felt like he had done so much bad stuff that he could never get out of the guilt and shame. Yeah? And it led him to a point where he ended up in a pigsty. And he was eating corn cobs that the pigs were fighting over. And he, all these times, every time he'd, he'd want to drop it all and give up and surrender, his mind would say, but you've been really bad, yes? That sense of the doership had him. All this guilt and shame that he thought he was the... Pro- he was the provoker of. He couldn't get out from underneath that avalanche. Then finally he hit a bottom and he had enough and something happened and he surrendered. Immediately the scene shifts to him meeting his father on the road. His father has a new robe for him, puts a ring on him and says, hey, we're having a huge feast. Let's go. It didn't take any time. It's, it's at the pigsty and immediately he's on a uh, Clear and easy street, yeah, like that. No time whatsoever. All the time, all the time went by with him providing his own requirements for the release. Yeah, he was the one that had all the considerations, not the father, not life, not the possibility. That was pregnant at every moment. He was in that bad situation. All the ones he ever was in. Yeah. Always, but it was never accessed because he was busily believing he was the doer of these actions. And he deserved this shit. Once he finally got over that, it was done. Yeah? I thought there was siblings involved. Hmm? Well, let's leave the siblings alone at this point. We're just talking about the immediacy. Hmm? Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, the one brother. Yeah. 
because because again there's another parable I really like which is the guy who uh, goes to the union hall and he hires some guys to work for him at 8 in the morning and he goes alright I'm going to give you $50 for a day of work and so they go they were really happy they needed work and then at 12 o'clock the guy goes back to the union hall hires some guys and says hey for a half a day I'm going to give you 50 bucks so when they came and the guys that were there at 8 o'clock realized they were getting the same amount of money for half the time. They were really starting to get pissed off at the guys at 12. Then the guy goes to the union hall around 4.15 and hires a couple of guys and says, hey, I'm going to give you 50 bucks for 45 minutes work. Now the two groups start really hating that, those guys, yeah? But you see, this whole idea has nothing to do with time. It has nothing to do with being deserving of. It's not to, you're not accruing credit here. You're not getting a certain, it's not like getting enough coupons that you can buy the, the, uh, the piece of enlightenment. It's about a timeless solution, which means it must be available now. Yeah? If it's timeless, it must be available right where we are, exactly the way we're taking ourselves to be right now. It must be. In time, it could be put off to later, or it could be projected back into a historical moment. But if it's timeless, it must be right now. So let's say you were staring at the sky and you realized that. You would be gazing very, you would be very uh, relaxed. You'd be gazing, yeah? If you're taking yourself to be who you may be taking yourself to be, all you're doing is looking for a savior somehow. Maybe it's the Agnadash you're going to have later. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Yeah? The, for, the gazing, the seeing, turns into a looking. Yeah? The seeing, looking. Yeah? As soon as it's just looking, you can't see. You can't see the seeing through looking. Can't, it does not happen. Yeah? Seeing, looking. Yeah? That's why St. Francis says, you are, what's looking is what you're looking for. Yeah? But what's looking is seeing. It's not you looking. The looking is a bastardization of the seeing. In other words, right now, all there is is seeing, but what our interest and attention is involved with is a form of looking called self-centeredness, which is a form of blindness to what? The seeing. Yeah. No matter how much, how hard you look, you can't see nothing. Yet the mind is seeing nothing at all times. But the conditional mind, all it does is see things. It can't see nothing. It can't sense space, really. It gets a little vague feeling. But in a sense, mind is seeing nothing. Like Jesus also says, if your eye be single, the body will be full of light. Yeah? That, the eye is, that single eye is seeing. These eyes look. Yeah? They look with an intention. They're in the busily seeking for what's looking. Well, that would be a form of looking again. <laughs> if you try to stop looking to see, that's a form of looking. Self can't get out of self. This is, a, this is like a disarmament. This is not getting a more subtle spear and bow and arrow. This is like putting it down. And you can, don't even do that. It's just the mind sees the gig is up, so to speak. Yeah, that's all happens. It just sees, it finally admits what was already so? It just goes, what? So like there's, a, there's an old book, and it was actually an older statement called The Wisdom of No Escape. That's the wisdom of no escape. There is no escape because there's nowhere to escape from. Yeah? There's nowhere to escape from. They have those corny statements, but they're, they're on the money, you know. What's seeking is what you're looking for. You know, you're not looking... The fail the systems failed. Yeah? If there's a reliance on self as being you, that system of life and interpretation is a failed system. Yeah. So there's nothing we can do. 
There's nothing we can do. Yet you're going to be doing a lot of things. See, you don't even have any say in what you're going to, if you're going to do anything. <laughs> There's nothing you can do, literally. <laughs> I disagree. Huh? I disagree. That's good. I'm happy you do. Noted. Be in the here and the now, people. <laughs> Where are you even cutting that out? Because that's all there is is the here and now. The here and the now. No, there is. You can, you can, you can trip in the future and you can trip in the past. No, you can't. Yes, you can. You can worry, worry, worry. You can shit and kick. What's what's worrying and shitting and kicking isn't you. No, you're not the thinker, honey. You are making yourself a thinker unless you're in the here and the now. We just said that. You're not the thinker. If you are not in the here and the now. No, you're not the thinker. You are the Riddler. I hope so. You are. I hope so. You are doing good. That's my job. You are. Good. <laughs> Trickster. An irritant. Irritant. Yes. Seems to be working. <laughs> good. I'll scrub a little harder. Right. See what's happened. <laughs> this is the whole point of an imitation. Yes, yeah, see what it provokes. And then ask who is it that is provoking something too. Yeah? Hmm? What? Try and be a prophet and be a non-prophet. You are not a prophet. No, I'm definitely not a prophet. Thank God. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I said this before, I realized I didn't know where my thoughts came from. I did not know where they go. I still don't know. They just happen. And <clears throat> so if my thoughts direct my life, uh, are you sure that's true? Then what is really running my life? Find out. What's an answer going to do for you? Nothing. Just find out. Sit with that question. Yeah. Yeah. See it. See if you are of thought or you are the thinker of the thought. Or is there an aspect that's being demonstrated now, like a sense of onness or awareness? That doesn't take a sense of, it doesn't take the form of being a doer or a haver. There's just an awareness of what's arising, yeah? Thoughts occur, just like how did I have those thoughts when I met that spiritual guru when I was 18, when I grew up as a Catholic in Long Island, yeah? And I had nothing, I never knew anything about spirit, quote unquote spirituality from India. Yet, when I ran into that situation, thousands of thoughts were provoked. Yeah. Who was provoking those thoughts? Was it me? The me that I sensed I was had no idea what he never even thought about that topic. Yeah. How could thousands of thoughts be provoked from the me that never had any idea of what it was thinking about? Yeah. I would say the thoughts are there, they're available and aspects of life provoke their accessing, yeah? But they come, their access point has to be, in a sense, you as the thinker, yeah? which is the first thought of all thoughts in a way, the thought that you're the thinker of everything that follows after that, yeah? That you are the doer of every action that ever happens in your life. Yet when you were a baby, you didn't have a sense of being a doer when you were a year or so. You grew into it. They say a, a baby 
it takes about 18 months before they have a sense of being a self, and it sort of coincides with the, the accessing of the language center of the brain. Yeah? But before that, there was no sense of being the doer. Have you ever seen a baby embarrassed by have, taking a shit in his diaper? They don't even break. They don't even break a beat. They're sitting. You're looking at them. You couldn't tell if they shit or not. Yeah, you'd only find out when you pick them up or the smell. Yeah, what happened? What happened? Maybe a maybe an idea was presented by a mental process, and that idea took hold, and the mind sort of got caught up in it, and then became identified with that idea that there's a you. Yeah. It could always go back to the anchor, which is the body identification. But if you really look at your head's activity, it doesn't give a shit about your body. It gives a shit about your body image, but it really doesn't give a shit about your body. It's taking itself to be something else than the body, yeah? Doesn't it? It almost seems like it's pissed off at the body quite a lot. The body can't do what I want it to do. I wish it could run farther or do this, do that. Yes, yeah. So it's usually quite irritated about the body quite a lot. But it's made like a pact, in a sense, with the devil. It can't, if it can't run the story of being you without the body, yeah, as the anchor of the story. If there wasn't, if you didn't believe the doing happens through the body, if you didn't believe you were the doer of your life, whose life would it be anyway? If the basic premise of your story about life is that was that you're, not, if you. If the story of life was that you were not the doer, whose life would it be anyway? There would be no sense of being identified with your life. There would be a sense maybe of life, obviously, but the idea of your life is like sort of, here it is, life, life is happening, and the mental process now has it, life is happening to me. That's a huge difference. That's a huge freaking difference. Yeah? Life is happening, and it happening to me is hugely different. Yeah? Once, it, once the me is in place, then it's provoked and reinforced by thoughts. Yeah. Just like when I showed up and I entered a, what you would call a spiritual situation, thousands of thoughts were evoked Yeah, about what a teacher should be, what a, I should be, what a meditator. I mean, that unbelievable, huge amount. What would happen the same way if the thought that I'm the doer yeah, of the actions would show up? You don't believe that would provoke thousands of thoughts about being the doer? Thoughts that produce, if you attend to them, guilt and shame about what you did or didn't do? Yes? All of these things, it's sort of like the one snowball produces the avalanche. Yeah? Once there's this locking into being this, it provokes or an opening to a huge, vast amount of thoughts in a big thought system. And those thought systems keep downloading. Yeah? based on the premise that it's you. Now, as that premise, it's very difficult to get freedom from the thought system because the you and the thought system are in cahoots. This is like the, the scout of the whole thought system, the you. It's already moved in, and now its rest of its tribe shows up. Thoughts about the you in relation to this, in relation to money, in relation to health, in relation to bodies, in relation to time, and there's... There's an ample amount of thoughts that get generated and regenerated. I'm not saying there's new ones, but there's a huge amount of thoughts that get generated and regenerated. Basically, like, they're just thoughts being rethought and feelings being refelt, yeah? And situations being rehashed, yeah? Or what's provoking that to become the dominant theme of our lives when it wasn't when we were babies? Why has it occurred that this has taken over, the, like, the supreme seat, and what that sense of immediacy and spontaneity and the ability to have fun and respond to a day like this, where did that go? Yeah. Now the day is thought about. When I was a young kid, I didn't think much about the day. I played in the day. I got engaged in the day. Now the mind thinks about day. And while it's thinking about this day, it's just another day it's remembering. Or it's worrying about a future day. This has, been a, this has been expressed. We know the dilemma. What we're entertaining here is the possibility you may not be the center. I'm saying what holds the whole system in place is the sun, the imaginary sun called Paul. It's like a moon 
that's playing the role of the son, and the way it can play that role, it has to forget the son. The system isn't doing well with me as the son. Yeah? Things are, asteroid belts are getting closer and closer. Comets are just running into me. Bad health, everything else, this and that. What? And then I keep trying to get all these incredible skillful means to make it a little better. Why not just question the center? Hey, if I'm not that, you'll find out how life goes. And you'll really know the problem by the solution. Yeah? You'll know you're onto something because you'll finally get relief. Lasting relief. Not a hope for a relief, but lasting relief. You'll travel lighter here. Today. Yeah? That's how you know it. You know the problem by the solution. And from the solution's point of view, the problem's imaginary. That's the good news. If it's taken to be real, good luck. And if I, if, let's say I believe I did something to get somewhere, that same system that believed I got there will believe I can get out of there, I can leave there. That's not peace to me. That's not radical enough. That's still based on conditions, all right? So I'm provoking a, situ a, a condition, but if I stop provoking the condition, the condition splits. You ever hear of, you know, Buddhism, right? The Eightfold Noble Path. Have you ever heard of that? Eightfold Noble Path. First he talks about suffering and this and that. And then desire is the cause of suffering. What's the original desire of the mental process? The original desire of the mental process is to be a self, yeah? It wants to be a someone. It wants to be relevant and special and unique. Yes? Okay. So its desire to become is constantly on. Yet it can't fulfill it. It can never be. It can't lose what it is, which is nothingness in nature, uh, awareness or consciousness, whatever you want to call it, spirit. It can't actually be unbecome a, being a spirit and become a body. Yeah. So this desire is never fulfilled. It's constantly desiring to become. Yet it will believe that it's something, and then it desires to unbecome that. So it's going desire to become something, unbecome something, on and on, like a slinky, over and over and over and over and over. That produces a lot of angst and irritability and restlessness. And you can see restlessness as seeking, really. If you look at seeking, it's restlessness. It's a form of restlessness, really. If you were satisfied, you weren't, wouldn't be looking for much, really. If, you, if there was a deep satisfaction, you wouldn't be looking for much. It, wouldn't, it just didn't, that's how it worked with me. So here's this desire to become or unbecome. Never can be fulfilled. What does it do? It produces a state of anxiety, right? agitation. Mind's not at rest. Yeah, yeah? So now it starts to seek relief. Not from the, the desire to become, but for what it's trying to become. So now addictions set up. Drug addictions, sex addictions, these things. We're trying to get relief because the original thing hasn't brought us any fulfillment. Yeah? So now we're unfulfilled, and now we're trying to fulfill ourselves in other ways. And it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. So then he went into the Eightfold Noble Path. And if you look at it in a linear way, the first point is right view. Yes? Right view. Then it's right meditation, right understanding, right this and right that. But what makes everything else right is the first one. And the right view was presented back then by Buddha as anatta, non-self. Yeah? Anatta. There is no long-lasting, independent, separate entity. There is no individual entity that is the personal doer. It says events happen, deeds are done, but there's no personal doer thereof. Yeah? There is no personal doer here. Okay? So with that view, then if you start practicing other things, you have the right view. So you're not using the practice to get you anywhere. The practice is a form of expression to what you are. It's a totally different approach. Yeah? To who? We don't even know. To who is it scary? To the, to the yeah, see, all right. So here's this, this feeling you want to give up control, but you're scared. But what? there's something that that you represents that's more valuable than what you want to give up to. That's it. That's the dilemma. 
it's always a little, it's a contract. I knew a woman who got herself into a really good vice at these messages. She really liked the message, but she felt like, well, if I'm not a person, then the filial love I have with my sister, who is a twin, then we won't have that filial love anymore. So therefore, I don't really want to entertain being free, because then I'd be free of the love with my sister. Yeah, it's beautiful how the mind does it. It makes something seem more valuable than that, and therefore fears provoked. And there's, you're, it's like you're on the pot; you can't go to the bathroom, but you can't get up, so you end up on the shitter all day. Really, really, it's the I who's scared. It's the you who's scared who's given the meaning to the situation. Yeah, yeah. You have, the Course in Miracles has a beautiful lesson. If you ever get introduced to the Course in Miracles, at least read the first seven lessons. The second one is, you and I give everything all the meaning it has. You and I are giving everything all the meaning it has here. That's called the subjective experience, yes? So you and I are having the same experience, but we're giving it a totally different meaning, yeah? Let's say if you're not happily uh, going out with someone and some lady says hello to you, you'll give it the meaning, oh, she wants to really get together with me. If you're happily with someone, someone says hello to you, hey, nice, hello, yeah, totally different meaning given, same event. This is what's happening. Now, we have been experiencing one level of meaning for a long time here. I would say self-centeredness. Aren't you tired of it? It's a failed system. Has it actually ever brought, you know, produced the goods? Have you ever, ever landed in happiness, joyousness, and freedom and stayed there? Or is it always... Seeking, seeking, seeking. And does your mind fill you, your head up with excuses and rationale and blame? Only a failed system. Let's say if I had a furniture store and my job was to, to uh, deliver couches and I never missed a delivery, yeah? Never missed, never was late. Would I need any excuses or rationalization or blame? No, because I deliver the goods, yeah? Listen to your head. It's filled with blame and rationalization excuses. Why? Because it doesn't deliver the goods. And I'm saying it can't deliver the goods. Because you are the goods. But how can you be the goods if the mind's taking you to be something else? Man, it's very difficult to receive yourself as the goods as yourself. (laughs) That means there's two of you. And really there's none, you know. It's just an imitation. You don't need, I don't need agreement or disagreement. It's not a draft. It's just putting something out there. Yeah. Well, I know what you mean by thoughts that come through. But when I'm reasoning something out, like planning a menu or deciding how to get someplace I've got to go, when there's a reasoner going on that the reason things out, Some teacher talks of, of it like a working mind, yeah? So the mind has its very good ability, yeah? It's a very advanced little system. So when it's put to a task, it can be pretty good. So that's what reasoning is, when you're doing a menu and what should I plant, and i got to put the chicken in at two hours. But it isn't you doing it. That's the whole point. This is always trying to step a, a back, not to question the intellect or the reasoning, but who is it that thinks it has an intellect? Who is it that thinks is is, is, is reasoning? Yeah, just question the who. <laughs> well, there's your answer. Well, question that. Who's that me? Don't go there. Just ask. Who's that me? Don't say if the me's not there, because that assumes the me gives it relevance once again. Don't give it any relevance. Just ask who it is. Once you say if the me's not there. See the value in it? If the me isn't there, the whole place will be crazy. So it's the me that's not making it crazy? Give me a break. It's doing the exact opposite. The me is the craziness. So how is the me presented in your head holographically? Like a body, isn't it? James, you've seen your face and mirrors, and so you assume me and James are sort of associated, yeah? Now what's the difference between all of us? Everyone here is looking at this body, yeah? Yeah. And everyone here calls it you, yeah? From your point of view, I'm a you. 
I'm never going to be a me to you. Yeah? Just going to be a you. Yeah, you, you. You get 800 people here, I'm a you. 8 billion, I'm a you. But arrogantly, when I ask myself, who am I? I say, it's me. Yeah? And I'm, there's only one me in this whole world. I'm a such a special you. I've transcended you-ness and became a me. Yeah? Yet we all in this little God-playing realm where the you has been elevated into a me. Yeah? Everything changes. As soon as it's me, everything freaking changes. Yeah? The you and the I, let's say spirit or awareness is I, the body is the you. That's fine and dandy. The I is non-manifest, the you is how it manifests or expresses. Yes, the you is a manifestation. No problem there. The me is like a bastardization. The me is identified as the body, but doesn't actually take itself to be a body. It says it thinks it's something else. Yeah? It thinks it's like a... I don't think it thinks it's spirit because it's too much invested in the body, but it's like a bastardization between the I and the you. It made this weird little offspring called me. So it has the qualities of the I, like it's conscious and aware, and it's, you know, you know what I mean? It's in conscious contact. And it has the qualities of the you doing happens through it, you know, this and that. Yeah? And it blends them, but it doesn't think it's either. It doesn't recognize its spirit, and it definitely doesn't say it's a body. It says, I'm in a body, or I have a body. Who is it that has a body? Yeah. Who is it that's in a body? Yes. So this me is like a like a bastard child by the mental process arising and claiming the I, yeah? For it to make sense out of the claiming of nothing, it had to drop it into something, yeah? And now the something is doing nothing. Like I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm thinking. I'm the one who's doing all this, yeah? But if you took my eye out, if my, I died and my eye, and you took my eye out and put in a live body, that eye which was not seeing ever again in there, here would see again. So the eye is facilitates seeing, it's not what's seeing, yeah? The, he, the ear is not what's hearing. And what is hearing, I, my invitation is, what is hearing cannot be heard. What is seeing cannot be seen. What is feeling cannot be felt. Yeah? What is tasting cannot be tasted. What is smelling cannot smell, be smelled. Yeah? We are neither the me nor the you. Yeah? And I don't even like to say you're the I. Because when you say you're the I, you're saying it somewhat as a me and a you. Yeah? I'd rather just say you're not the me and the, and the, and, and the you. And just say, let's say I don't know about the I. Yeah? So what happens if you don't know? You'll find out. And that knowledge will be a lot better than hearing about it. Yeah? When you find out, it'll be like an unspoken yes. Yeah? It'll be done. There'll be an understanding, not even understanding, there'll be a light that illuminates an understanding that I'm not that. Yeah? I'm not the I, I mean I'm not the me, and I'm not the you. I don't know what the hell I am, and now I'm fine with that. Yeah? I'll just live every day in the I don't know, See what happens. And then what happens is you find out. And find out is a much stronger way of being convinced than knowing anything. It just is. It's like a, it's like a complete die. It's like being immersed in die. You really come out different, quite different. So when immediately the question is always, who am I? And the answer is always me. It's a bastardization of the I and the you. It's not copping to being just a you because it thinks it's the one who's conscious and thinking and this and that, yeah? And it's not copying to be spirit. It's copying to be a, 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 a creature, an entity in and of its own making. This is playing God on a huge level, eh? Yeah. I mean, check it out. When you wake up in the morning, doesn't your head sometimes tell you how the day's going to be? You haven't even showed up yet, yeah? But it says, oh, this day's going to suck. <laughs> I can't see that as not playing God or... I know you. I know you. I saw you do something ten years ago that was really bad. You're a bad person. Yeah? All this. This is just God playing. That's what the head's doing. Yeah? And it's playing, it plays a very subtle game with God. It's unbelievable. Because what happens if you want to know God? 
Yeah. Do you actually know God, or is it more like you become a knower of God? <laughs> like God, it becomes like an addition to you. I'm a knower of God now. I'm much clearer and cleaner now. I'm a knower of God. When Ramana Maharshi said, to know God is to be God. Yeah. To know is to be. Not know, then to do, then to have, then to be. But know is to be God. Yeah. To me, that is that that timelessness, that like cutting with a sharp knife. That is that is nice. That is close. Yeah. So that's my humble invitation. Take it or leave it. Any more questions? Okay. All right. Uh, does anyone have a hat? I don't know. You want to pass it along? You'll be right for about a minute. You want to make an announcement for the play? All right. Hey, we're going to have a little play for a minute. The kids are going to put on a play for uh, the Orchid Show. Yeah. Come on.